You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Really glad to have you with us and welcome everybody watching at home online right now. When I was a kid, I started playing baseball around like kindergarten or first grade. And yeah, I wasn't that good at first, but over time I got pretty good to the point where I was usually one of the top four hitters on the team. And so I was usually not the power guy, but I was Mr. Johnny Hustle. My favorite player growing up, for those of you who are too young to know who this is, was Pete Rose. And I would say I, I kind of mimicked my game off of him in that uh, I was never going to be the fastest. I was never going to be the strongest, but I was going to outwork everybody on the team. In fact, when I got to around, I think it was my eighth grade year of baseball, uh, I was one of the best, I had one of the best statistics in every single game. And at the end of the year, the coach gave out you know, awards and the coach said, he goes, you know, um, this particular kid's parents promised that this kid is one of the most honest kids on our team. Like he'll literally tell on himself, which was true. It was one of my faults as a kid. But uh, apparently he's not that honest because he steals way too often. And um, I led the team and I led like I think our league in steals that year. And I, again, I'm not, I'm not the fastest guy, but I would work really, really hard. And I say all that because then the next year when I was a freshman, I was expecting to have the same kind of success when I got to the freshman level. And I was struggling a little bit. So my dad one night, like we're having a family night, it was Friday night, my dad takes us to a fun place and they have a batting cage there. So my dad takes me over to the batting cage and uh, he's just trying to help me out. And this batting cage was a, a little bit erratic. And so my dad was like, hey, just back off the plate a little bit. You know, the, the balls are a little kind of crazy. They're not really consistent. So just, you know, pay attention, back off a little bit. Sure enough, I'm in there and I'm not doing great. Like I'm, I'm whiffing, I'm whiffing, I'm foul balling, I'm tipping it, I'm nicking it, but I'm not really getting good solid hits on it. And my dad's like trying to help me figure it out. Next thing I know, this ball comes in and slams right into my jaw. I mean, it whacks me right in the mouth. My lip gets shoved into my tooth. It explodes. Okay, it may be a little bit of a stretch, but it felt like it exploded. Blood is flying. Okay, it wasn't that bad. But anyway, my mom is freaking out, of course. My dad is livid. He's laying into the employees like, oh, this machine is erratic and blah, 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 blah. And we get in the car. My dad's going to spoil us with ice cream. And, you know, I'm going to put something cold on my lip. It's going to make everybody happy and feel better. And I'm just sulking in the back of the car. And I'm mad. And I'm like, I want to do this anyway. And I'm miserable. Like, it was not fun. I was doing really, really poorly. And then I got smacked in the lip. And I'm miserable. Finally, after ice cream and my stomach's feeling a little better, my dad says, Matt, why didn't you move out of the way? You know, this isn't, this isn't Little League where if you get a hit in the face, you could, you know, go to first base. Like, why did you stay in there and let it hit you in the face? And I said, I didn't see it. I said, what do you mean you didn't see a ball flying at your face? I said, I don't know. Like, right before the ball gets there, I could see it, but like, I can't see it coming towards me. And all of a sudden, a light bulb went off for my parents Maybe the reason why he's not batting as good as he used to bat is his eyes changed. I literally had an eye uh, exam like nine months earlier and I had 2015 vision, but I had an astigmatism and my eye changed its shape to more like a football. It was God's way of telling me to play football instead of baseball. And, um, and all of a sudden I couldn't see. And I would stand in there and I'd be like squinting, which made a lot of sense why I was sitting in class and the teacher would write on the board and I'd be like, I have no idea what they're writing right now. So I'll just talk to my friend and I started getting in trouble. <clears throat> Maybe I should stop telling myself again. But anyway, here's the thing. If you can't see where you're going, 
it's gonna be a really painful life for you. Are you with me? Proverbs 29, 18, this has been our, our theme for this whole series, says this, where there is no vision or kazon, the people get fat lips. Now that's in the Hebrew. You have to read the Hebrew. The way we read it in English is the people perish. The whole idea here is if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, if you can't see clearly to get it done, it's gonna be a painful existence for you. Now, this concept comes out of the book Kazon by a guy named Craig Rochelle. He's pastor of Life Church in, uh, in Oklahoma, I think it is, and a great church doing great things in the world. Great book, highly recommend it, easy read, fast read, buy the book, it'll help you. There's a lot of great exercises stuff to work through. But the word Kazon in Hebrew literally means a dream, a revelation, or a vision. And the whole idea here is that God is speaking, and God is moving in the world, and he is trying to reveal to you what he wants to do in your life, why you are here, why he has created you for a purpose. A kazon is not one of these. Do you know what that is? It's a kazon. Some people call it a cajon. Some people call it cajones. There's two of them. Careful. This is a kazon, a kazon. Now, we've said throughout the series, came from the book, a kazon is an intersection of these three things. Two weeks ago, we looked at this, these core values. Have you ever noticed that God has created you with certain things that are a really big deal to you, and they may not be to everybody else around you? Like, have you ever noticed some of you just love details? Some of you just love uh, uh, excellence. Some of you are just passionate about the presence of God or, or worship or, or whatever it might be. There are certain things that just, your core values, they drive you. Then there's these things, your past experiences. This is what we looked at last week. If you weren't here for last week, man, you gotta go back. And you gotta do the homework assignment I gave you. I told you to go to the Life Church Kazone website. They've got this phenomenal 12-minute video. It'll lead you through a really hard and painful exercise, but it's so good at understanding what God has been doing to both train you and use the pain of your past to shape where you are today. And then today, I wanna talk about this thing, spiritual gifts. But where these three things intersect, that's probably your kazone, the sweet spot, the thing that God is doing in your life. Now, real quick, let's talk about spiritual gifts. Did you know this, that God is the creator of every human on the planet? Everybody comes from the same race. We could track it back to Noah, and then we could track it back to Adam and Eve before that. Now, there are many ethnicities. There are many countries and languages and Differences, but the ethnos, the ethnicity is different than race. We all come from God. However, that's dramatically different than what we hear today. What you're told today on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and social media or whatever is all of us are God's children. No, 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 no. All of us have been made in God's image, but not all of us are God's children. That's a different category. So since all of us are made in God's image, we're all valuable. We all get dignity. We all get honor. We all get respect. This is why everywhere you go, you treat all people. It doesn't matter how much education they have. It doesn't matter whether they're male or female. It doesn't matter how much money they make. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. You treat them all with dignity, honor, respect. However, only a certain category is a child of God. It's huge. It's a game changer. But only a certain category is a child of God. Who is a child of God then? Well, John says it this way. In John chapter one, verse 12, to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. 
John is going out of his way here, isn't he? I mean, like, you can't fake this thing. You can't control this thing. You can't manipulate this thing. You can't, you, you, it can only come by a connection to Jesus Christ that you can become a child of God. Whew, that'll preach, right? It's important because all who accept Jesus become God's children. I want that for you. And do you know I want that for you? I want that for you because of the way God treats his children is different than the way that God treats everybody else. God loves to give good gifts to his children. The greatest gift is actually something called the Holy Spirit. Now, almost a year ago, it was, it was right around February or March of last year, I did a series on God, and we did a whole thing on the Holy Spirit, and I think we took like three or four weeks on the Holy Spirit. I might be a little bit off on the timing. It was right before, right into when the quarantine and the pandemic hit, so that'll give you some time frame back to, I think it was February, March. Go back and listen if you want. How do I summarize in even three or four weeks the Holy Spirit? It's really tough. Well, try doing that in like 20 minutes. It's even harder, but we're going to do our best to cover a lot of ground and a little space and leave you with some clarity and some handles on what to do with this big topic, but I don't want you to miss this. Become a child of God means believing in, trusting in, leaning upon Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus, when he's walking on the earth, he actually says this, Luke chapter 11, verse nine. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, first of all, Jesus, you're a little bit offensive, right? Like, you don't have to be so in your face. You could, you could be a little nicer when you teach. Like, you didn't have to, like, call us evil. Like, okay, let's unpack what Jesus is trying to say. He's trying to draw a clear distinction between God himself and us. And he's trying to say, look, God alone is good. He actually says this in many places. God alone is good. So you've got to accept the fact that you're not good, but God is good. And yet, even though God alone is good, you figured out how not to be evil to your children. If your kids come to you and they're hungry and they say, Mom, can I have breakfast? Dad, can I have breakfast? You don't go and give them a snake, right? And think, ha, 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 ha. watch this trick. Yeah, go ahead, stick your hand in the cereal box, son. Ha, sucker, you're gonna die. No, you don't do that, right? Now, some of you are pranksters. I've heard about dads like this. But that's a whole different level, right? It's one thing to hide behind a corner and your kid comes down in the morning and jump out and say, good morning, and you give your kid a small heart attack at 12 years old. That's a whole different thing than handing them a scorpion when they've asked for an egg. And that's the distinction he's drawing. God is good, and you can trust him. You can lean into him. You can lean your life upon him. He's good. If you're hungry, he's not going to make you suffer when you have a real need. You'll figure this out as a parent. How much more so has God figured this out? How much more so can you rely upon God? But then he closes with that powerful phrase. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is why James and the book of James clarifies. I think it's a James 1.17. I think every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Every good gift 
Every good thing you have is from God. Your parents, your children, your house, your cars, the good ones. All of them come from God, but also every perfect gift. The Holy Spirit comes from God. God gives lots of good gifts. Have you ever noticed that God sends the rain on both the good and the evil? You ever notice that? You ever notice that God cares for all people, but he cares for his children in a special and unique way? Well, let's answer this question as we're kind of building on this. Okay, so God is giving the Holy Spirit. How do I get the Holy Spirit? Like, how do I actually make that happen? Well, in Acts chapter two, what happens is the day of Pentecost. You may not understand. There are a lot of Hebrew festivals, and it's fascinating. Jesus' entire ministry throughout the Gospels in the book of Acts lines up with these Hebrew festivals. It would be phenomenal to just do a series on the Hebrew festivals sometime because there's still one festival that never gets brought into the books of the Gospels, and it's the last one, the Feast of Trumpets, when the trumpet is blown and all of a sudden the Lord will come back. It is an amazing thing. It is so cool when you see it, and Jesus even dies on Passover, and the very next one is Pentecost. And on Pentecost, Hebrew people would have come into the city hundreds of thousands of them. If you study history, the Hebrew people were dispersed throughout the world through something called the Great Diaspora. And this was part of God's discipline over Israel for not following his ways. But you had Hebrew people living all over the world and they'd learn the different languages. So if they ended up, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna use modern day illustrations for you, but if they'd lived in Russia, they spoke Russian. And if they lived in Germany, they spoke German. And if they lived in England, they spoke English. Now, that's not the countries of the world at that time, but just so you get a context. So when they would come back from Pentecost, hundreds of thousands of Jews would, would come back to the city to celebrate. And they all spoke these different languages, but they'd stay with family and they'd come back and do this festival and then they'd go back home. And on the day of Pentecost, God did something that he promised he would do for centuries. If you go back and read Joel chapter two, he says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will have visions. And on, in Acts chapter two, this day came to pass and God filled the apostles with the Holy Spirit. And what happened is on Pentecost, right after they get the Holy Spirit, they go out and there's hundreds of thousands of new people in the city, as well as the people who already live there. And they start speaking about Jesus in languages that everybody can understand. Now there's one of two possibilities, and I don't wanna to get too deep, but I wanna make the point for a second that it's miraculous. There's one of two options. Option A is there's some universal heavenly language that the apostles get up and start speaking, and so no matter what language I speak, I can understand them. That doesn't seem to fit the context. What tends to happen, what we think happened is, one of the apostles, let's say James stands up and he starts speaking in Russian, and Matthew stands up and he starts speaking in Greek, and uh, John stands up and he's speaking in Hebrew. And all of a sudden they're speaking these languages. So these Jewish people coming from other countries of the world are standing there on Pentecost and they're hearing the gospel and understanding it in their own language. And somebody comments like, man, these guys must be drunk, which I think is hilarious because I'm looking over there at Matthew speaking in whatever Russian. And I'm like, I have no idea what that guy's saying, but he's, he's got this thick Russian accent. I Probably not. But anyway, he's speaking in a way that that guy can understand, but I don't understand it. So he just sounds crazy to me. Does that make sense? But all of a sudden I hear that guy speaking in a language I speak, and I'm totally understanding him and interpreting it. Something miraculous is happening. Something that can't be explained. Something that is needed 
in order for the gospel to take off and to take hold in the world. And God promised he would send the Holy Spirit in Joel 2 and in Acts 2. It's happening. That's powerful. And the world could see it. And the world knows it. And it points us back to God. So the question, even in Acts 2, becomes, well, how do I receive that Holy Spirit? How do I become a part of what God is doing in the world? How do I find my place in God's kingdom? In fact, Peter stands up and it says he preached a long sermon, longer than it's recorded in Acts 2, which I feel like is permission for me to go 20 minutes over today. But some of you want to watch football later, so whatever. Anyway, I'm just joking. So he gets up and he preaches this long sermon and they summarize it down to like a chapter in Acts chapter two. And he basically just preaches that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of everything they've ever been told was coming. When you look at the Old Testament kings, he's the fulfillment of that. When you look at Moses, he's the fulfillment of that. When you look at Abraham, he's the fulfillment of that. When you look at the Old Testament sacrifices, that. The temple, that. All of it, everything has been written, everything has been said, has always been about him. And then he concludes in Acts chapter two, verse 36, with this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? And Peter replied, repent. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Church, those of you watching at home, wherever you are in your faith, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off off. We just had some people get baptized in the service. If you're just tuning in, you missed it. We had a lovely lady get baptized earlier this week here at Kingsway. Baptism is a plea to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we go into the waters of baptism, we're dying to the old self. We're saying, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I need Jesus in my life to both wash away my sins, but I don't just want to be an empty house. I need filled up. And so what God does is he fills us up with himself, the perfect, the great gift of the Holy Spirit. So it becomes, and this is all biblical language now, a foretaste, a foretaste, meaning a taste beforehand. That's what it means. So one day when Jesus comes back at the feast of trumpets, so to speak, when I'm in the presence of God in eternity, let's just call that heaven because that's how most of us think of it. When that day comes, what I'm experiencing now by the Holy Spirit living in me is a precursor to that. So there it's gonna be complete, but here it's a foretaste. It's a similar experience, but different from there. It's a down payment, we're told, on an inheritance. An inheritance is something you receive when somebody else, when you've died, right? When somebody else has died, you receive the inheritance. The Holy Spirit as a down payment, meaning there's a future payment that's coming. The Holy Spirit as a down payment on the thing that is coming. He's our guarantee of the life that is to come. The Holy Spirit is a gift to you from God to do something profound in the world. And it begins with a decision, a decision to go all in and give your life to God. So that no matter what you've been through, your past experiences, 
matter what pain or suffering you're currently going through, God wants to partner with you in this world. And before I move on, and I am gonna move on, and I'm gonna make some very specific applications to the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts in your life, I just wanna encourage anybody, either at home or here right now, who has never taken this step to give your life to Jesus Christ, why not now? What are you waiting for? The easiest way for us to have this conversation with you is for you to just pull out your phone right now in the middle of the service or at home and just text the word CONNECT to 317-565-4911. We use this number all the time. It's a text prompt, 317-565-4911. In fact, what we have found recently is people who are watching live online right now, they will literally go into the chat and they'll just chat in the chat room, CONNECT. And you know what? If you do that, we'll follow up with you too. Do it. All right, now let's answer this question. I've received the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? <laughs> well, the Holy Spirit's role is to equip you to partner with God in bringing heaven to earth. That's, if I could summarize, like hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of teaching that you probably need later on about the Holy Spirit, let me summarize it in this one phrase. The whole goal of the Holy Spirit is to equip you to partner with God in bringing heaven to earth. So that's in your daily relationships as a husband or as a mother, uh, in your work relationships, in your school relationships, in your friendships, in your church, in your holiness and in your walk with God. The Holy Spirit is living in you to equip you to be God on earth. So I did a series this summer, it was like July or August, all about being a salt and a light, if you remember that. I mean, these analogies are, while in this world, you're gonna have trouble, you're now living in the world as a representative of heaven in a different place, you aren't gonna think like the people of this world anymore, like earth, like the people you're coming out of, like your own family and your own friends, you're now gonna try to think about the world the way that God thinks about the world. And that's very, very hard, but the Holy Spirit's gonna be inside you, transforming you into the likeness of his son. And he's gonna gift you in a unique way. See, this is different than say a natural born talent or a developed talent. There's a man in our church, I used this example last service. Um, he was adopted as a young boy and um, he was raised by an American doctor and he became a doctor himself and he serves in a local emergency room. And I love this guy to death. And every once in a while, it's funny, as I'm coming to work, he's coming off his night shift and be like, hey, you wanna go grab breakfast? i are like, let's do it, I got time, we'll go to breakfast. I just love his story and I love his heart. And he has spent years serving in this capacity, developing his gift. That is different than his spiritual gift. Many of you have gone to school for four or five or eight or 10 years. You're passionate about something. You've read about it. You've studied it to the nth degree. You're great businessmen and women. You're wonderful leaders. And God will and can use all those things. I am in no way discrediting any of those things. We need all of us in various capacities. But that is not your spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is something that God is doing in you through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, look at what Paul says to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. He says this. <clears throat> for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God gave us not, sorry, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Man, power, love, self-discipline. Again, Holy Spirit is fueling Timothy to live these principles and many, many more. Okay, let's unpack this real quick, right? Because there's a lot to say about this and not a lot of time to say it. But who is Timothy? Timothy is a young protege of a guy named Paul. And Paul has sent Timothy to a church called Ephesus. 
Ephesus is a great church. I think it's in Acts 17, might be Acts 19, but Paul goes to Ephesus and he proclaims the gospel and these people start to believe in Jesus and just a revival breaks out in the town. But the people, before they came to believe in Jesus, they worshiped these false gods and they would call on, in like divination, they would call on these names of these spiritual powers to do work in them. And they had spent lots and lots of money on magic books. Now the church in Ephesus at first, probably ran 20 people and then 30 people. Maybe it was 100 people at its peak. We're not talking thousands and thousands of people. We're talking about a small group of people. And at one point in the book of Acts, they literally bring their magic books to the city center and they burn them. And people have tried to estimate the value. Some have said the estimated value might have been like $50,000 worth of magic books. They brought into the town and just burned them. Their zeal for the Lord was oh, just on fire. They just love God. Ephesus became one of the major epicenters for they would train up and send out other missionaries and leaders from Ephesus. John, who wrote the, what we read late, earlier in John, he wrote the book of Revelation. The apostle John, whom Jesus loved, John spent significant time in Ephesus along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and it's crazy, like this was this great church. Except by the time we get to Revelation, this church has fallen. You can see this, I think it's in Revelation 3. John, through, Jesus actually through John, warns the church in Ephesus, you have fallen from your first love. You have forgotten what I have called you to. Return to me. And then he says, he gives them this warning, or I'll remove your lampstand. And in the book of Revelation, the lampstand is the church. If you don't return to me and love me and serve me and fan into flame the reason that I, ex that I created you in the first place, it's not a problem for me. I'll just take you out and I'll birth something new in your place because I don't want something there that's gonna be dishonoring to me. I don't want something there that's not gonna be helpful to me. I want something there that is full and on fire with the love of God. Are you with me? Is this convicting or encouraging anybody else now? So decades before that comes in the book of Revelation, Paul is writing this man, Timothy. He has sent him to the church in Ephesus and he's saying, fan into flame. Think about this small spark and it's at a very fragile state because all it's gonna take is a certain amount of difficulty or struggle or oppression and the flame is gonna go out. Paul saying, don't let the flame go out, Timothy. It's gonna be hard. Work on that thing. Get that thing burning hot. Make sure it's growing like crazy. Let it become a fire inside you that consumes you and burns bright, hot for the world to see. That's what God wants to do in you. The Holy Spirit inside you. Fan that sucker. Okay, that may be offensive. I didn't mean that that way, God. Fan it into flame. Don't let it go out. Like, pour some gasoline on that bad boy. Ignite it. Let it burn hot. Let it take over you. But don't let it go out. So let's transition into this question. How do I know what gift or gifts I have? And here is um, where I just want to spend a little bit of time giving some wisdom and some coaching. I would say one of the gifts that God gave me is in the area of preaching and teaching. Uh, those are different gifts, but I kind of have, like, I'm not a great preacher. I'm not a great teacher. I have a little bit of both and not a lot of either. And I'm good with that. Like, this is who God made me. This is how God's gifted me. How did I discover that? A whole lot of trial and error. 
people started saying to my parents when I was in fourth grade that they could see a day one day where I would be a minister. And I wanted to grow up and own my own business and have the white house with the white picket fence and 2.5 kids. And I wanted the perfect American dream. And then God got hold of my heart and he, and he showed me that nothing else I could chase after in this world would be good enough for that. That I wanted to do something else in my life that was more significant. And God called me to this. But here's the thing. One day I'm gonna retire from Kingsway. I know, I know, it's shocking. Some of you are like, how do we make that happen? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> One day I will leave Kingsway and I will hand the baton to the next generation and I'll say, man, I did my best to lead her and serve her. It's your turn now. Does that mean God's done with me? Well, I mean, I suppose if I'm on my deathbed, you know, like something tragic happens, you know, it probably means that at that point my ministry <clears throat> is over. But I'm assuming I'm going to retire from Kingsway or transition out of Kingsway with life left in my body. So was God done with me? No. The greatest mistake that I can make is assuming that I will always have to preach or teach in order to be used by God. I have no idea how God is going to take the gifts that he's given me and reapply them to whatever generation I happen to be using my gift in. I only know this. The Holy Spirit gifts us to serve what the church and the world needs. So the question you need to be asking is, what does my church need? What does the world need? Not what do I wanna do? Not what did the Lord reveal to me five years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago I ought to be doing? What does my church need? What does the world need? What does my church need? What does the world need? How can I step into that? That's the question. I'll give an example, and maybe this is a bad one, but my mom was a nurse for years. That was her training, and that was her background, that was her experience. That was the wisdom she gathered from the way that God made her in the world. But the truth is, my mom actually has the gift of helping and encouraging. Those are two spiritual gifts that she has. She may not even see it or know it, and if she's watching at home right now, I love you, mom. So God has taken those two things her ability to encourage and her ability to help and serve, and he's used them over and over and over again. She's not a nurse anymore. She retired from being a nurse years ago, but she continues to use those gifts, whether it's caring for my dad when he's sick or sending uh, my wife and I a meal and saying, hey, I know you guys have had a long week. Can we buy you dinner? Or literally calling me and feeding my Starbucks addiction or whatever it might be, her gifts are the same. I will occasionally send my wife out of town to serve her needs so that she can come back and be strong again and loving and serving our family and have some time away to recover. My mom will come into town or have me come up to be with them and, and just help with the kids. So God has taken her gifts and used them in many, many, many ways and he'll keep doing that until she goes home to be with him. And then here's the thing, she's gonna keep doing it for eternity. It's just who God made her to be. So the Holy Spirit is inside her and she is most happy in the world when she's using her gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Do you know the gift that God has given you? Because if you don't know yet, you'll never find your cousin. You'll never find why you're here. Are you with me? I hope when I retire, you know what I wanna do? There's two things I wanna do. I just don't know if God's gonna let me or this God has a different plan. But I wanna, I wanna mentor other pastors it's like, I want to have a ministry when I'm done being the pastor of Kingsway or whatever that is. I want to, I want to mentor other pastors and I want to write books because I don't have time to write right now and I don't, I'm not really good at writing and I want to learn how to do that. And so I think like I need to start growing those gifts now in anticipation that sometime in the next couple of decades, I'm going to retire and then I can start doing those two things because God's not done with me. It's just going to be different. The mistake that we make is that we assume whatever gift God gave us or revealed to us is the gift he has to use in that way all the time. 
And that's going to God and saying, God, I'll do this and only this. And that's not the point. The point is to be filled up with the presence of God and realize God is at work in the world. He wants to use me in the world. How do I partner with you and what you are doing in the world, God? One of the greatest books I've ever read is a book called Experiencing God. And we went through this, I think it was three years ago as a church, it might have been two years ago. I don't know what you remember now. And he says this in the book Experiencing God, so good. He says, the problem with this approach, getting one gift and keeping it for the rest of your life, it assumes Christians will always keep the same gift. And that once they discern their gifts, they should accept ministry opportunities that match the gift and decline any ministry that is not supported by their particular gift. This teaching has been frustrating to some who have attempted to find their gift. At times, they will be asked to perform ministry they do not feel gifted to do. Or they may not be able to find a ministry that makes adequate use of their gifts. It is important to understand that a spiritual gift is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit's working in people's lives to enable them to obey what God asks them to do. Biblically, God always gives the assignment first. Then God equips the person by the Holy Spirit to accomplish what he assigns. We must remember that when we became Christians, God placed his Holy Spirit within us. We did not merely receive a spiritual gift. We received the Spirit himself. When the Spirit resides in us, we have all the power of God and the resources of heaven at our disposal. Woo! I hope that encourages your heart. In my last church, uh, there was a season... Uh, we were looking for a leader for the team and the church came to me and said, Matt, would you lead the student ministry until we find that leader? And oh, by the way, we're short-staffed. And oh, by the way, my assistant had been in a car accident and was having all these memory issues and it was so hard. It was 18 of the hardest months I've ever been through in my life. I was exhausted, depleted. I got burned out. I burned out my wife. It was tragic. I'm so glad I didn't have kids. It was just a hard, hard season. But I'll never forget it because I'm not good at details. Anybody who's known me for 20 minutes, you'll figure it out. Anybody who's ever made an appointment with me, you'll figure it out. I'm not good at details. I'm not good at organizing. I'm so glad God has surrounded us with amazing people on staff. You know what I'm good at? I'm good at this. Praise God. I do what I do well and others do what they do well. But in that season, I had to do it. And I'll never forget one day, the executive pastor at that church came to me and he said, Matt, you've really kind of blown me away. We knew there would be some bumps in the road as you had to manage this and it wasn't your strong suit. You had to manage the whole ministry, every aspect of it, while we found staff for you and filled in those gaps. He said, I just want to tell you, great job. You're not just surviving. You are doing a great job. Keep going. And here's the only thing I could point to, guys. It was not my wheelhouse. But for a unique season, God gave me everything I needed to do to get the job done. It was supernatural. I can tell you, as soon as I got staff, I was happy to give it over to them and move back into the things that I knew God created me for. The hardest thing I've ever done is let go of the things when God was telling me it's time to stop doing that. I wish I had more time to tell you this illustration. I used to lead worship uh, for our student ministry at our last church. I'm not a great worship leader, but boy, did I love it. But God told me in that season, I need you to let it go. And that was the hardest thing and the best thing that ever happened was letting it go so God could do the next thing. Well, in that same season, a family came to our church and I, again, I was leading the student ministry and um, they were, it's hard sometimes, have you noticed, to fit into a large church? Have you ever noticed that? And the reason that it's hard is because it's easy to show up on Sunday morning, raise your hands and go, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God, and not actually be a part of what God is doing. You're watching it, you're cheering for it, but it's like being a fan of a football team. Today, you're gonna root for people to win in these football games. And whether your team wins or loses, whether it's the team you like or not, it's different than being on the field and being a player. 
right? So this family was visiting our church and they were very much players at the last church. But at our church, they'd been fans. And finally they came to me and said, Matt, we're having a hard time fitting in, but we want to fit in. Here's the thing. At our last church, it was like a church of 150. This church was like a church of 2000. And they said, we, we had a mime ministry. We think God is calling us to do this mime ministry here. And I said, I haven't heard that from the Lord, but I tell you what, I'll pray about that. So I took a week or two and I prayed about it. And no matter how hard I try, I just couldn't hear God saying anything about it. Nobody? Come on. All right, it wasn't that funny. But anyway, I never said I was funny. A mime. No. If you have to explain a joke. But in all seriousness, I never heard the Lord say anything. So a couple weeks later, I'm sitting there with the family, and I said, look, guys, I don't know how to say this. I don't want you to leave our church, but God is not calling us to have this ministry. And they were at first adamant, and they're frustrated that I was like, I'm telling you, I'm, I don't, I'm literally not hearing from God, all jokes aside, I'm not hearing from God on this. I don't believe this is what he wants for us here. I believe you're trying to pigeonhole God into doing what he did in you at your last church, and you really have to start asking the question, what does this church need? If God is calling you here, then he's calling you to fill in at this church to meet a need. Took them a week or two to get over it, but they started serving. At that time, I was running around like a chicken with my head cut off on Sunday nights. I was trying to coordinate the worship. I was leading the worship. I was preaching. I was coordinating the small groups. I was trying to greet high school kids at the front door. I was organizing our games, and I was just doing all this stuff. Man, I would just go home, and it was a wreck, but it was the best that I had. And I'm like, I need somebody over here doing these things. I need somebody over here doing these things. And they finally came to me and said, where do you need us? And it was a game changer because all of a sudden, God let them let go of what they were doing before and redirected their steps into what needed to be done now. And that same season, a lady in our church who actually was on staff, I'll never forget, her name was Marilyn. And she came to me and she said, Matt, I wanna take all the meals on Sunday nights for your high school kids. And I was like, okay. I was like, what, what do you, how much, you know, I don't know if I have budget for all that. What, how much money do you think? And she goes, I'll pay for everything. You tell me how many kids to cook for. And she would show up every night for about two and a half years and she would make dinner for about 100, 120 high school kids. And it was unbelievable. And one day I caught her in the kitchen. I was just like, I felt like God told me to go tell her thank you. And I went and said, thank you so much for doing this. I said, I, what did I do to make you decide to do this? She goes, nothing. She goes, I was just spending time with the Lord and he told me that you needed this. And so I came to you and offered. And she was absolutely right. It was, it was just amazing. And it went to another level and the kids loved it. And we had dinner for our kids every Sunday night in my high school program. Now that was a story at my last church. I didn't want to tell stories specific to here because you have them. The point is what God is doing in you is unique to what God is doing in us. So sometimes you have to let go of your pride. Sometimes you have to let go of whatever it was or whatever the thing, you've got it in your mind, it has to be this. I mean, I wish I could bring Barb Kilborn up here for those of you who've been at Kingsway for a long time. If you've known Barb, oh, if you don't, you're missing out. And Barb usually watches at home. So if you're watching this service, Barb, I love you. But I got to go to Peru with Barb. And Barb told me when she came to Kingsway decades ago, she came, I think it was, if I'm telling the story correctly, she came out of a Catholic background. She was sprinkled as a child, but she came to meet Jesus and gave her life to him here and got baptized. And John Caldwell, our former senior pastor, he went up to her and said, all right, uh, our kids ministry needs some help next week. Would you show up and help him? And she's like, I just became a Christian. Like, I don't really know enough to teach him. He's like, they're third graders. You only have to stay one, one step ahead of them. You'll be all right. And decades later, she's been serving in kids ministry all because of one bold step of faith. Here's what I know. God can do anything he pleases through an ordinary person surrendered to him.
That's why Peter goes on in the very next verse. He says, if anybody speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The gap between where you are and God's kazone oftentimes is the fact that you are too afraid or too intimidated or too overwhelmed or too busy or you feel too insignificant or you feel too insecure or you feel too untrained. Don't let the twos stand in your way. Remember, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. Henry Blackaby goes on in Experience of God, and he says this. Many people want God to call them to a big assignment. However, they try to bypass the love relationship. The love relationship is why God created you. That's far more important to him than what you do. So anticipate that God will start working with you and drawing you to an intimate love relationship that is real and personal. When the love relationship is right, God will be free to give, begin giving you assignments at his initiative. Whenever you do not seem to be receiving assignments from God, focus on the love relationship and stay there until the assignment comes. Again, I'm gonna take you all the way back to the graph we've used throughout this series. The place where your values meets your experiences, meets what God is doing you is probably what he's called you to in the world. So church, get to work. Listen, if you're sitting out there, we have always have needs. A lot of times people like big churches, they don't have needs. Oh, that would be so far from the truth. We want to see our guest experience go through the roof, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week, even at funerals. So when people are in their hardest moments in life, they feel loved by this church. We have needs right now in kids' ministry, especially with the younger ages. Uh, one of my dear friends um, in our church, and I don't have his permission, so I won't say his name, but um, you know, the only reason he started serving at kids' ministry is because people kept asking me, he's like, I don't, I don't really even like kids. Um, at least not my own. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but now he serves with kids and he loves it, and he's one of the most faithful. In fact, when we made him take a week off a few weeks ago, he was like, he didn't know what to do because he felt profound responsibility to those kids, your kids that he loves and serves every single week. We need help in our student ministries. At this hour right now, there are some people who are moved and they decided to take our class. We offer a class this same Sunday, this same week, every month on about how to discover your spiritual gifts. You can literally text the word serve to 317-565-4911 anytime, anytime, and we will connect you. Look, take out your phone right now. What do you have to lose if you go through like a little class with us and we get you some information and you go, I just don't know yet. What do you lose by reaching out and at least trying to find out what God might be up to in you? Let's pray. Father God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I just say that again. May your kingdom come May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, thank you for the Holy Spirit who is our down payment, our promise, our hope of future glory. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who desires to move in us and to stir in us, to bring heaven to earth. God, thank you that you use ordinary 
people like us. God, thank you that you aren't looking for the extraordinary. You're just looking for surrendered people. So God, I pray for various men and women and children right now that you would um, stir in their hearts to reach out, to either go to the Connect Hub or to text, Father, but to not just sit and be a fan, but to join the team and to let you use them. We love you, God, and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, all God's people said.